I'm Dr. Jill Weiner. I'm a white woman, a doctor, a meditation teacher, a tapping practitioner, a writer, and I'm an aspiring anti-racist, an identity which I must constantly strive towards, work on, and reevaluate. This podcast amplifies the powerful voices of women and men in all aspects of the anti-racist space, along with some of my own insights and explorations on topic ranging from healthcare to spirituality to criminal justice and beyond. In order to provide a nuanced, educational, and honest examination of systemic racism and dominant culture. All right, so I am so excited to talk today about trauma, uh, which is something I'm hugely interested in uh, and is a big part of the work I do. Um, and and today specifically about trauma and one of the many many ways that it relates to racism and anti-racism work um, because the, the, the connection is kind of endless. And so today is going to kind of start to scratch the surface at how trauma and racism um, intersect, but this is not going to be like a full, a, a full uh, range of, of what needs, what is out there. Um, and today I specifically want to talk about how trauma contributes to why it is so uncomfortable to really dig deep in conversations and work about racism um, or in anti-racism, anti-oppression work. And, and that's one of the things that uh, Dr. Maisha Claiborne and I do in our conscious anti-racism work is really helping people, equipping people with the tools, no matter what their identity is, to become more aware of themselves, um, to expand their emotional intelligence and um, so that they have the tools to to lean into this discomfort that comes up a lot. That's that's a big part of what we do. So what is trauma? Let's start by talking about that. So trauma is when an event happens to somebody that overwhelms that body's that that person's um, or that nerve that person's nervous system, their, uh, that nervous system's ability to process what happened. Um, and that can be worsened by a lack of support or um, some sort of network to, to help someone get through a traumatic event. Now, a traumatic event can range from you what we might think of as being traumatized as being assaulted physically, um, being you know in a war setting. Um, and it could also be uh, getting yelled at by a teacher. It could be getting bullied. It could be um, being in an emotionally abusive relationship. It could be being, you know, mistreated at work because of one of your identities, or just mistreated in general. Financial stress can be traumatic. So there's lots of things that can be traumatic, and it's important to recognize that, like, what can be traumatic for one person may not actually be traumatic for someone else, and it's not a um, anything inherently good or inherently bad if something becomes traumatic. It's it's just how one's nervous system receives something. And, and there's tons of things that impact it, past experience, um, again, the support system that is in place and resources that are available um, when someone is going through the stressful event. Stre trauma is actually a continuum. So you can start with stress. Something can be stressful. And that can actually be good to have some stress. So stress is how we develop resilience. Stress is how we develop 
a growth and an ability to, to deal with adversity, then it can become toxic stress, which is taking more of a toll on us physically, physiologically, um, and emotionally. And then that continuum continues on to trauma, um, which is when it is it sets off a trauma response and it becomes actually a part of a person's, it becomes embodied that, that, that traumatic event actually lands in the body and stays with us until um, potentially forever or until there's a way to um, get treatment for that trauma. So when we are on that continuum of trauma, from stress to toxic stress to trauma. And again, there's a lot of different things that can kind of mitigate or prevent stress from becoming toxic stress. And that's also mitigating it from becoming trauma. But once the trauma has reaction has occurred, there are several ways that, that we can respond to a trauma. That's several responses. So you may have heard of the fight or flight response. So that's the sympathetic nervous system prepares us to either fight off a predator or to run away. So lots of things happen. You get superhuman strength, you get uh, tunnel vision, a bit of irrational behavior, um, your blood flow to certain organs um, is decreased and increased to other organs to help keep you alive and to prevent you from bleeding as quickly. Um, if you get bitten, um, you, your blood also gets thicker and um, more, there's more clotting factors that are made so that you don't bleed as quickly. Um, and also your blood gets more acidic in this setting. So lots of things, um, lots of other physiologic things happen as well, but your body is basically primed. This is actually beautiful physiologic response to fight back against something that is there to harm you. Like a bear is coming to, uh, take a big bite out of you. Um, those are two of the responses. A third one uh, is freeze that we don't always hear about. And that tends to be actually mediated by the parasympathetic nervous system, which we normally think of as the, the rest and digest and healing and um, sort of restful part of our nervous system. Um, but when it's stimulated in a certain way, the parasympathetic nervous system can actually lead to a trauma response, which is freeze. And that can cause a lot of people to uh, disassociate or uh, from them, from their bodies, um, because it's almost like a, it's, it is actually a protective mechanism when they cannot, it can often happen when you can't escape from a situation and a person can't escape from a situation, they go into freeze mode because it's a survival tactic to get them through until it ends. And that's something that is very, very helpful in the moment, but can can lead to some issues later on if our nerve if the nervous system continues to react to stresses in that way. And the final the final way that a nervous system can react so we have fight and fight and flight, we have freeze, and then we have what's called fawn, um, which is uh, something that you may see um, people kind of acting in a way that seems like they're trying to um, curry favor of the person who is oppressing them or harming them. So it's it's it can be done in um, uh, racialized situations. It can be done in, in situations of abuse where the person who is being harmed is actually trying to 
avoid further harm by by acting a certain way as to not provoke further abuse or harm. Um, and it may seem kind of confusing, like what, why is this person being so nice or trying so hard? But, you know, why is this person not fighting back? Well, because it's a survival mechanism and they don't, they're, they don't have a choice and their nervous system doesn't feel like it has a choice. So with all these responses, we don't pick and choose what happens in a stressful moment in a traumatic moment. The nervous system just reacts the way it's going to react. And again, all nervous systems are different. Some nervous systems are going to perceive something as traumatic. Someone else's nervous system won't. And it's not a personal strength or a personal flaw either way. So now with that kind of background information, one of the things I learned from Dr. Kimia Saraf, um, whose podcast is going to be coming later this month, is that human beings are hardwired for safety and for connection. So we're hardwired for two things, safety and connection. So the safety part we already talked about, if, if someone is coming to attack you or an animal is coming to attack you, or there's a natural disaster and you need to run or a car crash and you need to run, the fight or flight response works really well. But we are also hardwired for connection. So if something is threatening our connection with other people, our ability to be part of a community, the nervous system is going to react to that in the same way that it does to a reaction to a physical threat. So fight, 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 flight, freeze, or fawn. All those things can happen in response to social threats. Um, so when when we have perceived in our our country and there's there's many different theories on this one that i have heard that that makes sense to me but i'm sure there are many other ones racism used to be something that was much more openly talked about people said what they felt about you know people who weren't like them and it was something that definitely behind closed doors but maybe not even behind closed doors was just something that people were allowed to do without getting fired without getting, you know, canceled or called racist or anything like that. So then when the civil rights movement came along um, and all of these things became illegal and, and, and rights were established for people who were previously did not have rights and who had been on the receiving end of oppression and marginalization for hundreds of years. So then it became all of a sudden not okay to talk about these things openly. And being called, you know, saying something racist or being called a racist then caused, you know, legal threat or or perhaps other other types of social threat as well. Now, I feel like this is definitely an oversimplification. And there's again many more factors that have contributed to this, but this is um is again something that I've heard um from several different sources. So now saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, being called a racist kind of puts people in a social threat that is real or perceived. And if they feel like that social threat, if, if they feel like there's a social threat that is going to impact the way they're seen in society, the way they're seen in their community, the way they're seen at their job, their identity as a person, because now all of a sudden, and I'm oversimplifying again, but you know, it's, considered bad to be called a racist. So if someone doesn't think of themselves as a bad person, then the thought of being called something bad 
even if they are doing things that are racist, that can be perceived as a social threat. And again, the nervous system is going to can respond to social threat the same way it can respond to physical threat because we are hardwired for both things, for safety and connection to other people. So what happens when their social threat is occurred? First off, the one of these responses happens. So fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. So people get defensive. People start to shut down. They have a fight or flight response. They start to um, deny things. They start to um, fight back because they are in a fight or flight response. They're in a stress trauma response. And once we're in that response, like there's no controlling it. N not only do we not choose which of the four trauma responses we have, but once they're set off, once they're activated, they are happening the way they're happening. And it's not like something we can say, oh, look at me. I'm in this trauma response about being called a racist. And let me just, let me just stop that right now. It takes a lot of work to be able to recognize when these reactions are coming up for us in our, in our, in our bodies. So people shut down. You may, so there's fight, flight, and there's freeze. So use may have happened to you having a conversation, feeling social threat that someone, you know, someone is insulting you or, um, you know, say, saying something not nice about you, about something you've said or a way you've behaved that might be racist or, or other, some other type of oppression, shutting down completely, closing off, not engaging in the conversation, not engaging in the, um, the work that needs to be done. And, and that that shutting down can continue to happen. That can be a continued pattern. So this is a huge hindrance to doing deep work around race and racism and other anti-oppression uh, anti work. Because if the nervous system is kind of having this reaction and causing us to either fight or shut down or run away, the work is going to be really hampered. It's going to be slowed, you know, less progress. And it can also be really difficult to engage in the work for everybody. So the fact that people are having these trauma responses, it's not like a get out of engaging in equity work free card. We still need to do the work and, and for particularly for white body people who have benefited from a system that perpetuates power for white people um, as a whole, um, and for people of other identities who are participating in other systems of oppression, um, homophobia, sexism, um, transphobia, uh, discrimination against religions, discrimination against um, people with disabilities, all sorts of different things. So we all can benefit from having awareness of our reactions when we are called out for something. And again, it's not, it's not like, oh, I feel so bad for that white person who has had this trauma response to being called out for being racist. It's not that. And there's this very fine line to walk of recognizing that if 
people are in a trauma response, they're not going to be really capable of engaging in the work in a productive way and wanting to meet them where they're at, but also not, um, but also holding people accountable and not pandering to them. So there's a very, very, and it's a, it's a difficult line to walk for sure. Um, so how do we mitigate this? And, and again, I'm, I'll say also that trauma shows up in the world differently for different people and especially for different identities. So racial trauma is going to look totally different for someone who's on the receiving end of racialized harm than someone who is perpetuating racialized harm. And as I mentioned at the beginning, this podcast is not going to cover everything about trauma and racism. So I am not attempting to do that. I'm more trying to focus here on, on trauma and why it's uncomfortable to dig deep. So to kind of summarize what we've talked about so far, trauma is when an event overwhelms a particular person's nervous system's ability to process it, particularly when they have lack of, of support or network or tools to deal with it. The trauma responses that we can see are fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And the body is hardwired for safety and for connection with other people. So when either of those two things are threatened, safety or connection to people, the nervous system can go into a trauma response that looks identical. There's no, there's no differentiating between a, a stress response from a physical threat versus one from a, a threat to someone's connection with other people. And so when we go into that fight or flight, it can be very uncomfortable. It can feel very threatening to do the work for someone who is afraid of that they're going to say or do the wrong thing or that they're going to be labeled as something that they don't think they are, even if what they're doing is offensive, most people aren't going to see themselves as that way. And so they're going to kind of, it's going to provoke a response in them that is generally not going to be productive in this work. So how do we combat this? What are tools? I think first off, being aware of trauma, what it looks like, how it shows up in spaces, um, recognizing that when someone sends a nasty message to something you've posted on Facebook or social media or conversation, that nasty message is not their best self coming forward. That's their trauma response usually coming forward. Whoever the person is, whatever was said in response to, you know, responding to whatever was posted, that is generally going to be a trauma response and, and generally something that we don't have control over. Again, isn't it, there's got to be accountability, but just kind of recognizing being able to see, wow, that's a trauma response. So the first tool really is after being aware of trauma and what it looks like and how it may show up and how it may hamper or hinder dynamics in anti-oppression spaces, the first would be body awareness. So what does it feel like in your body the mind and body are not just connected. They are part of the same organism. So all this trauma, all the feelings around fight, flight, freeze, and fawn, they're all present in the body. So you're carrying with you your clues all the time to how you may be responding or reacting to something and, and, and whether or not you're starting to feel activated or triggered by a, 
a discussion or a comment or something you read or something else, the way someone else is behaving. So starting to develop body awareness. And there's lots of different ways to do this. Mindfulness is a really great way. Our conscious anti-racism curriculum goes through a whole like continuum of exercises that teach people how to do this. But first learning like what's, when do I start, what's the thing that happens in my body when I'm starting to get activated? And for me, I'll notice that my heart's starting to pound really fast. And I'll be like, ooh, my heart's starting to pound. I'm starting to get activated. Then knowing that I can say, okay, you know what, whatever comes up now, I'm going to do my best to not speak up until I feel like I'm speaking up from an empowered place. I don't want to be reacting or responding um, until I'm, until I'm actually able to feel like I'm doing it from a controlled way. Um, if I'm reading something on social media and I start to notice that my heart is pounding, that is not the time for me to start writing a response. It's not going to be helpful. Nothing's going to, nothing's going to be gained from that. Um, so what's your tell? Um, uh, Dr. Saraf mentions that she feels hers in her throat. Um, she talks about this in the trauma courses that she, she teaches that, that I have taken. Um, so where do you feel just like checking in when you're starting to feel upset about something, what's, what's going on in your body? How are you feeling in term in that way? So that's one of the tools and there's a, like, a, that's a whole complex thing on its own. That could be 50 different podcast episodes, but the other tool is connection. So while connection are, are being hardwired for connection can lead to a trauma response. If we feel like we're being threatened in some way, real or perceived threat. Conversely, connection can also be your secret weapon to mitigate trauma, to, to, to lessen the impact of trauma. What are ways to do that? Community. To have a community of people around you that can support you when you are going through something traumatic, people that you can call and say, Hey, like this just happened. I'm feeling this way about it. Can we talk about it? And it can be friendships. It can be like a paid community or a, or a racial, like a caucus group or something. Um, it, a place where you feel safe to express what you're feeling, but also where you expressing what you're feeling, isn't going to be harming people of other identities. Um, so this wouldn't be a time if you're a white person who, who got into someone called you, said something you did was racist and you weren't feeling good about it and you're feeling really activated. This is not the time to go to your, your black friend and say, Hey, someone told me that this is what I did is racist. Like, is it, that's not what we want to be doing because even if that person is being nice to you, um, and responds, that is putting your issues on them in a situation that could potentially cause harm to them. And they may not feel safe telling you that it's causing harm, even if you're good friends. So this is a time to have a, find a community where you can have these conversations and, and know that you are able to speak freely and, and get some honest opinions from people. So community accountability is all, you can't have community without accountability. So Accountability comes from connection with people. Who's going to hold you responsible? Who's going to say the hard things that need to be said? Who are you going to be in relationship with that's going to say, you know what, I actually, you know, maybe this is something you could consider with this. 
Uh, and who can, can you be that person for someone else too? So community accountability um, relationship is the next one. So developing relationships with people where you feel safe, where you are safe to have these conversations where you are safe to go, and it, it, this goes way beyond race and racism. So if you have, like us, if you've been harmed in some physical way, nothing to do with race or anything like that, it's still, all of these things are still helpful to mitigate trauma. So relationship. And also relationships with people aren't just there for you when you've done something wrong to help you process it. But developing relationships across lines of difference with people who don't look just like you, who aren't from where you're from, who don't have the same religion as you, who don't have maybe the same worldview as you, um, that can help to help you to help a person to expand their perspective around race and racial identities and other marginalized identities as well. So if you have relationships across difference, there is that's going to expand your consciousness and understanding of the world around you in a way that's going to make it much less likely that you're going to feel that social threat or, or do things that activate that social threat. Because there's a, a not just a tokenizing, I have a Black friend, therefore I'm not racist, but an actual, like, I have deep relationships with these people and they have told me how they feel when these things happen. I'm not going to do those things, or I'm going to try really hard not to do those things. Or if I do those things, I'm going to apologize in a correct, proper way without causing more harm. And then the final thing is communication tools. So learning how to communicate, um, connecting with other people in a way, like I just mentioned with apologies, but in other ways too, how can, how can we communicate even better how we can further develop our communication tools so we can start to recognize if we're causing harm or we can start to recognize um, and, and then do something about it. Ask, you know, to, to and Maisha talks about this in, in a lot of the work she does and in a lot of the work that we do together, but communicating is another way, true communication um, is a really great way also to enhance connections with other people. So again, the tools to mitigate, to um, lessen some of the impact of trauma. Uh, first off is being aware of trauma in yourself and how it may show up in other people. And then developing body awareness, your, your tool, your tell of how you know when you're getting activated or when you're getting triggered. And then using that as a, as a, as a moment to say, I got to pull away. I'm going to go sit on my own for a while. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to calm down so that I can come back to this interaction in a way that is more productive um, and also care for myself if needed. Um, and then the second thing is using connection as a positive thing through community, accountability, relationship, and communication. So that is um, the aspect of trauma and how it can impact our ability to engage in conversations about race, about other difficult conversations, about any other of the isms. Um, and I encourage you to think about how this has shown up for you in your own body or in, in interactions you've had with other people. And what might you do to put yourself in a, in a 
with a better chance of success next time something like that happens? How might you use your knowledge of trauma to change the way you react to somebody, uh, to change uh, the way you perceive someone else's reaction, or um, to really start to find ways to connect authentically with other people, community, accountability, relationship, and of course, communication. Thank you so much for listening. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conscious Anti-Racism. Please be sure to follow or like us wherever you find your podcasts and also consider leaving a rating or review. You can follow Conscious Anti-Racism on Instagram and Twitter at Jill Wiener, MD, J-I-L-L-W-E-N-E-R-M-D. And please check out our Conscious Anti-Racism book on Amazon.